0: each.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's Livenation.com slash concertweek to
3: buy now. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
2: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
3: They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Lexus Codename Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's one of our favorite times of the week, our weekly listener mail segment where we hear from the best part of the show, which is you and your fellow conspiracy realists. We're going to go to some weird places here, uh, some of our favorite places to go. <laughs> we're going to crack some uh, questions about the mysterious Chinese balloon that caused such a ruckus in the past few weeks. Uh, we're going to... Ask. Uh, we'll, we'll bandy back and forth about politics and religion, <laughs> but not in the way you expect, maybe. So don't turn off the show yet. Uh, and before we do any of that, uh, I think we wanted to wanted to share an excellent response we got to our skepticism part two episode, where we we talk about the tricky business of using empathy and sincerity to speak with someone that you feel may have gone off the cognitive rails.
2: Yes. We got a message from a certain AGW. Hmm? We'll call this person AGW, another government worker. This person says, I've been listening to your podcast for a number of years, always meant to send a response, but you know, work gets busy. You asked about input dealing with conspiracy theorists. And before we get too much further in this message, we should mention that it's written in a very particular way.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, it is. Uh, shout out to AGW uh, for writing this excellent piece of correspondence, kind of in the format of a, an official government memo.
2: Yes, with headings like this, Emergency Management and Government. I left the classroom about 17 years ago and joined the state government as a training specialist. My section of the department is Emergency Management Preparedness. A few challenges of communication. Okay, I guess that means that there were... Okay, wait. Now, these are specific challenges we're about to talk about? Is that the way I'm to understand this?
3: Yeah, I think the the headings here are examples of times communication was challenging.
2: So here's the first one. COVID. Fall of 2018. We were part of a national level exercise. Oh, interesting. A number of states and federal agencies participated. The exercise worked the emergency plan that had been developed and updated after the H1N1 swine flu outbreak. It was a challenging week. We relied on the national stockpile system to be a major part of the process in getting needed medical supplies. We did learn a number of things we needed to improve. But when it got bad, the playbook had changed at higher levels of government. So does that mean when COVID actually hit, things had changed,
3: I think? I think so, because... You know, uh, most governments weren't really prepared for something of that magnitude. Right. So they they kind of had to go jazz improvisation with it.
2: Aha. Next heading. California Canyon Hermits Peak Wildfire. Wow. Started in the state EOC as we dealt with many fires and chaos. What different folks said and what they heard kept us busy. In the two events above, and so many situations, it's a challenge to get information out to the public. There's a challenge of politics, government, private companies. In every after-action report, or AAR, we find there is one major problem. Communication. The next heading is... New Mexico, Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. I'm a federal grant-funded state employee with the Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. I've had various background checks in my life. My dad was in Army with a high security clearance as well as my mom and husband. I've had to operate under for your situational awareness, not for public distribution, etc., as well as observing Freedom of Information Acts and Sunshine Law. What I know and what I can share to just about anyone can be different, even if it is open-source material. As a trainer, I am one of the folks for the department who gets asked questions, mostly in community preparedness trainings. Your podcast is so helpful in, one, staying up to date on the newest conspiracies, and two, hearing what your listeners are concerned about. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, guys. Mm. Guys. Department of Homeland Security is listening in? And taking cues?
0: (laughs) Uh... Taking That's, notes.
2: Yeah, oh, dear.
5: Uh, okay. You mean they're listening right now? Hey, uh, everybody. Thanks for tuning
2: in. All right. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming to the show. <laughs> 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 Let's move on here. Uh, AGW says, I have to filter what I tell friends, my family, people at an event, etc. Family reunions are fun. In one, my brother-in-law started very aggressive in that I worked in government. But after talking a bit, he came to realize that at least my discipline had some value. At another family reunion, one family member understood what I do, and another asked questions for better understanding. Well, that's good, talking about that kind of stuff. That's what we we said in our skeptics episode. Talk, ask questions, listen. Your family's doing the right thing there. So you continue with the question, how do I change folks' minds? First, it again depends on who I'm talking with. If it's a first-time caller venting frustration, I listen. For some, I can find out what the big frustration for them is and improve the situation in some way. For some, it really is just listening. I always try to remember that each person deserves dignity. Wow, that's a really good viewpoint to have. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I think a really great
5: summation of kind of the, the broad strokes of, of what we talked about on the episode. And uh, also uh, talking about a, a government worker whose jobs it is to listen really puts a new spin
3: on the idea of a listening station, doesn't it? Mm. it does, I guess we all have a little listening station in our heart and should try, <laughs> to, try to use it when we can.
2: And uh, yes, uh, AGW ends with this one. It's, it's rather personal, but I think we can take something away from this. They say, I can also share the story of my spouse. When we first met, they had the idea that only Hispanics were Catholic. Meeting a Catholic Scottish Irish person from New Mexico, he was a tad confused. They would be considered very conservative, full gospel Christian. Over the past 40 years, we've both shifted in beliefs, but I would say more him than me it was by me asking questions for understanding and clarifications signed another
3: government worker nice i mean this feels like the right way to to navigate these things uh, and and especially you know if you work in government in the us or abroad you run into stuff like what agw is talking about here something might not necessarily be top secret but you, as, uh, as part of your job, are constrained from talking about it or commenting on it. It always reminds me, we brought this up a while back, I think. It always reminds me of when WikiLeaks hit the scene and there was all this stuff that was now publicized, all these cables and all these reports and memora- memoranda and whatever. Uh, and people who are not in government could just be a few clicks away from this information, but various government agencies had to put out warnings to their employees that it was very catch-22. It was very Heller-esque. They had to say, okay, we know this is out here on Google, but you still have to treat it like it's secret, and if you're not cleared to read it, you can't. Mm. It 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 was a weird honor system, but also family reunions can always, always be tough, and there's something... Matt, I think this is really impressive. There's something AGW talks about, um, that line that stands out when uh, the brother-in-law starts, starts off a conversation by saying, Oh, you work for the government, huh? As, mm-hmm. as, if, as if everybody from you know, your local comptroller on up has a direct line to the Joint Chiefs and, and whomever the president is. No, which it's one crazy. big web.
2: One big web. You got to get in contact with the special agent in charge. That's the person <laughs> yes, you got yes. to talk uh, <laughs>
3: to. Which the acronym for that is the SAC. <laughs> uh, do they say SAC or do they like, or do they say, we got to call the sack. I gotta get the sack on
2: the phone. Uh, this is the, I got to say the thing that stood out to me guys in this, and I know I'm silly and a bit rabbit holy right here, but just talking about that national exercise in 2018, the fall of 2018 about some large outbreak using the H1N1 swine flu outbreak as the model. Um, <laughs> come on. I just want to know more. <laughs> Look, if, if you worked, how about this? Anyone out there that can hear this message, if you've been a part of some national level exercise in your country dealing with some kind of terrible thing that may happen in the future and you've been a part of it recently, why don't you let us know about it? Tell us all about it, everything you can without, you know, putting yourself in danger. We want to know. So I want to start tracking those things, guys.
3: <laughs> when mm-hmm. when are the national preparedness events and what are they about? And has there ever been one that you were aware of or that you participated in that surprised you? You know, yeah. if, uh, I think it's safe to say if the four of us, if Doc, Noel, you, Matt, myself, actually the five of us, you listening along at home as well, if we were in one of those exercises that got weirdly specific, it would be creepy, right? Like if you're doing a game plan, even just a tabletop kind of walkthrough of something like uh, a very specific type of plane crashing into an Outback Steakhouse in Omaha while a specific manager is, is on shift. I mean, I don't know how specific these things get, but for a lot of people, it's true that learning about Preparedness exercises for diseases or for natural disasters have always seemed sus to a certain percentage of the population when something like that does happen in real life.
2: You know what I really want to hear specifically? Were you a part of the, I guess, war games maybe that uh, that were taking place or supposed to take place on September 11, 2001? I don't know if you guys remember reading about that, but Boston.com a long time ago ran with an AP news story written by John Lumpkin about some kind. Well, let me just read this first statement. Quote, in what the government describes as a bizarre coincidence, one U.S. intelligence agency was planning an exercise last September 11th in which an errant aircraft would crash into one of its buildings. But the cause wasn't terrorism. It was to be a simulated accident.
4: Hmm.
3: It's again, weirdly specific, right, depending on your perspective and and I guess to be fair, we have to admit that a lot of those kind of exercises don't make the news when the the thing they're preparing for doesn't occur right it's It's kind of linking the it, it's putting the red string between the dots based on timeline you know um but still. As creepy as it sounds and as messed up as it sounds, it's honestly better than the alternative of not being prepared. Not to sound too like Eagle Scout about it, but imagine how much worse some of those things would be if something happened and nobody in the government had any idea or had never thought about that. And was just, they just said, oh, well, we didn't plan on satellites coming down we just thought they stayed up there are bad <laughs> sorry uh <laughs> but like that that kind of stuff can happen and then also oh gosh this is the coffee talking here uh also we have to consider that it's not outside of the realm of possibility that some shady stuff occurs and is called an exercise that's why when geopolitical tensions get above a certain threshold You hear these uh, stories that make the news where it's like, oh, the U.S. is conducting exercises outside of so-and-so country just over the border. Or, you know, China is conducting what it calls military exercises in insert disputed area of the sea. You know what I mean? Like, I think maybe governments play a little bit fast and loose with the term exercise sometimes.
2: According to the coincidence, American Airlines Flight 77, the (laughs) Boeing 767 that was hijacked and crashed into the Pentagon, took off from Dulles at 8:10 a.m. on September 11th, 50 minutes before the (laughs) exercise was to begin. Mm, Yeah, the exercise was from the the National Reconnaissance Office, and it was in the Pentagon. It was being run from the Pentagon. Mm. Okay, guys, it's fine. Everything's fine. All right. (laughs) <laughs> so write to us. Write to us if you can. That's it, guys. I'm sorry. We need to take a break. I'm going down a rabbit hole. My.
3: and we have returned this is a is one piece of correspondence we've received uh, about something a lot of our fellow listeners found interesting fascinating and a little bit disturbing this conspiracy realist has asked that we do keep their identity anonymous and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this we'll share this correspondence throw the ball or balloon back and forth, as it were. And uh, then we're. I think we're going to have to do an episode on this because there's been a lot of misinformation coming out already. Here is what we received. Hi, love you all and the podcast. I know you will, but sooner rather than dot, dot, dot. Can we discuss the spy balloon incident? I witnessed the balloon fly by or fly over here in South Carolina near Myrtle Beach I witnessed the military fly around it this was our last chance to take it down before it drifted out to sea and we did but what was China's goal they must have known that we would detect it was it a gentle testing of the waters does it have anything to do with NATO countries sending our tanks to Ukraine why would China do something so easily detectable Unless it was a distraction, mm. and and we're gonna we're gonna again keep the anonymity as best we can here. This source posted a lot of pretty great photos of the balloon from their vantage point in South Carolina, and if you look at the photos, uh, you can see a white dot, a white dot in most of them. But if you look at the one that ends with nine oh four then you can see a little bit of the undercarriage there, which is where all the goodies are, all the surveillance stuff.
2: In the basket?
3: The goodies in the basket? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, in, the, in the gondola of the balloon, right? <laughs> and um, so for anybody who somehow doesn't know, uh, up until about February 4th, 2023, there was a high-altitude balloon operated by China over North American airspace. And it took the tour. It went over Alaska, blew through Western Canada, and like our source says, got all the way to South Carolina before someone did anything. The official position of the Chinese government is Meadow doesn't buy it. Uh, the the official position of the Chinese government is that this was a civilian meteorological research airship that just got blown off course. Because as you know, with hot air balloons, even if they're really fancy high altitude, unless you put a way to steer on there, you're kind of at the mercy of the wind. Uh, This thing did ultimately get shot down Oh, off the coast of South Carolina, uh, the U.S. government's reasoning for waiting so long is apparently they didn't want to shoot it down over a civilized area for a number of reasons. Again, Meadow is not buying this story. And I think a lot of us listening today are not buying it because the, It's important uh, to be skeptical even as a dog. Yes, be skeptical in all things, <laughs> except whether or not you are, you are a good girl, uh, which Meadow is.
2: She's not a good girl. I just got to put that on record. She is not a good girl. She's a villain. She knows what she's doing. She's trying to get it. So
3: so here's some of this stuff. Before we answer this specific question or attempt to answer it, pose some possibilities, uh, what we can say is that it makes sense that the U.S. would have waited till it was off of a coast to shoot it down because – there would always be the likelihood that debris from the balloon could fall onto a populated area right which would be a PR disaster uh there's also the possibility that the that the methods used to pop the balloon to bring it down could adversely affect a civilian area so a lot of the reason for waiting really came down to safety uh, as we're recording today, the debris has been recovered.
2: Well, the waiting also has to do with, cause this is a complex political geopolitical move to shoot it down
3: or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the thing we're, I was talking about this um, with some folks, I think on, on Twitter or Instagram, the issue is, Like a lot of people got excited and it became what our pal Robert Evans called a kind of a mini culture war, right? But the thing about this high altitude surveillance craft is that a lot of governments have them and a lot of them are legitimately just meteorological research. Like a lot of people who are experts in weather are cooperating around the world to launch these things on a regular schedule and they want the balloons up in the air because they share their research, they can all learn more. Uh, You know, spoiler alert, 2023, humans still aren't 100% sure how world weather works. Know a little bit about it, right? But there's a reason that your local meteorologist is a brilliant person who can't really predict stuff with certitude past a certain number of days. There are just too many variables, right? And so we need those balloons. But the idea, the other issue is for high altitude spy craft, like spy surveillance kind of stuff, if you can see it with the unaided eye, the way that so many people across the North American continent could, then it probably means someone screwed up. Right. Because, you know, like the high altitude surveillance blimps that Uncle Sam is messing with, you're not going to notice them. You you really know. And I mean, this was flying at a low enough
5: altitude that like there were sightings from (laughs) civilians. Right. Yeah.
2: This appears to be iPhone shots of the thing. Well, yeah. and,
5: And no shade on the fine folks of the Carolinas, but there's some pretty trigger-happy folk out there. I would have thought maybe somebody, you know, would have taken a shot at
3: it
0: themselves.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think some people did. Uh, okay. I a, okay. I have one friend that I can't identify who said they, they were familiar with Montana and they were telling me, I know, I I know several people in Montana just had to give it, literally had to give it a shot, right? It was a long shot, but they said, why not? Maybe. Uh, and if they did the math, they would realize that the kind of firearms they have have no chance of reaching that sort of thing. That's why the US had to deploy the F-22 Raptor to shoot it down. And the F-22 Raptor is it's bad medicine. It's not something you want to see out in the sky. It can like wax F-16s. It's you might even say it's it's a little bit of overkill, but they needed something that could get to that altitude. Another question people were asking, it's a very reasonable question, is why, why was it shot down? Why didn't someone just, why didn't the U.S. with all its toys just try to capture it in flight, right? The problem is the altitude's too high for something like a helicopter to hummingbird over, you know, uh, and now... As we said, the U.S. has retrieved it and you can, you can see plenty of footage of sailors picking up pieces of it out of the Atlantic. I think specifically one of them is Explosive Ordnance Disposal Group 2, um, but that's the setup here. So maybe we ask ourselves here, and let's crowdsource it too. We need your help, fellow listeners. What was the balloon actually doing? that a satellite could not? That's a good question.
5: It was my understanding that it was monitoring strategic sites, you know, which is vague in and of itself, but I believe it was potentially looking for military sites of weapons deployment, of long-range weapons deployment. Okay, that makes sense. And maybe yeah. satellites you know, can capture swaths of information, but a lower-flying surveillance balloon might be able to get more granular detail. Okay, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just posing some possibilities that are crossing my mind.
3: Yeah, no, those are really good ones because I guess we could also say maybe maybe being closer to the ground than a satellite, it's able to bypass some kind of atmospheric interference of mm-hmm. some sort, possibly. Um, I mean, Matt, what do you think? Have you called Xi Jinping lately? I have.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, How
3: is he doing? How's his mom and them?
2: Uh, Ginny, I call him Ginny. Uh, no, he's good. He's good, doing his thing, you know. Uh, (laughs) He's (laughs) doing his thing. thing. (laughs) (laughs) A little
5: little cranky about this, though, probably. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing (laughs) more than anything, isn't it? Sort of egg on the
2: face. No, this is just testing how we would respond to the balloon being in our airspace, and uh, we kind of failed the test. We shot that sucker down. Because now, you know, the messaging coming from China is, well, we will now respond in kind to anything flying over our airspace uh is that true? true yeah yeah, so so the conversation has happened, and this is essentially that's the diplomatic response
5: is like, okay, all right, then, well, uh, n- now we know what's next.
2: You teach people how to treat you, right uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, I learned that from somebody one uh, time, uh
3: jeez, uh, well, uh that someone should practice it more often, I think <laughs> but the uh the I just have this image of Matt texting uh with G and saying, Hey, man. How are you doing? Haven't talked a while. It's like, oh, you know, just doing my thing. No, no, he's real specific. I refer to it as just he's doing his thing. (laughs) (laughs) I see like the three dots in the chat as Matt's typing. Mm -hmm. It says that balloon though, and then she responds (laughs) LMAO. (laughs) <laughs> Hashtag YOLO. I love it. Um, I hope that conversation is happening and I hope we can all still get through Chinese customs. But this does seem like embarrassment, but also again, people aren't publicly confirming other than the Chinese government, people aren't publicly confirming what this would have been doing up there. I mean, Noel, you raised some excellent points. Also, the satellite thing is you know, one of the first stumbling blocks on the idea of surveillance here. Um, but we do know that there was a lot of misinformation. It got politicized very quickly, and it continues to escalate because, believe it or not, folks, this is not the first balloon of its sort that has made it over the U.S. border. Uh, according to a couple of recent interviews, This has happened four times total. The one that occurred just recently was the fourth one. It's happened at least three times during the previous presidential administration, and a U.S. general confirmed that the intelligence and security community did not know about those three as they were taking place, and they only put together the pieces after the fact. Uh, They call it a domain awareness gap. Because governments love terms like that, so there's a domain awareness gap, uh, and even people in the intelligence community, at least when they're speaking publicly, seem a little bit baffled by this. They're saying things like, "Okay, we know that China has, you know, first in class espionage capabilities. So why is this so clumsy and clunky? They knew it would be detected." Maybe this is kind of like, you know, a feint, like in fencing, right? Or in basketball, you want to see how the other party reacts. So maybe this is a way to learn more about how the U.S. controls or monitors its airspace. Maybe this is a good way to. I mean, <laughs> look—if they have a live feed on that bad boy when the when the F twenty two came up, then they learned a lot about the F twenty two. Right. So so maybe that is worth uh, one busted balloon. But when we're talking about escalation, I want to shout out three journalists at The New York Times who just published this uh, very recently. Today, as we record, February 8th, 2023, Julian E. Barnes, Edward Wong and Helene Cooper. They have verified that the government of China is sending spy balloons over military sites, not just across the U.S., but across the planet. Hmm. And here's where I think we get our answer. Because they're closer to Earth, it's easier for them to evade conventional radar. So maybe there's this Goldilocks zone. We're not altitudologists. We're not experts (laughs) on how high or low things should be. But maybe there's this kind of balancing act you have to play between... Staying low enough to evade radar, but staying high enough that people on the ground won't say, Oh, holy smokes, that's not the Goodyear blimp. You know, wait uh, a second. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Um, So maybe this is a practice run. Maybe like Cosmos 2499, the Russian spy satellite we talked about earlier this week. Maybe this is all about gathering data for some. Operation in the future. Uh, We're just not clear on what that operation might be, what the motivations might be, but we appreciate this letter, Anonymous. Uh, I think we are going to do a full episode about this because the one certitude we have is that there's going to be more stuff like this or based on it on the way. Speaking of on the way, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors, Big Balloon. And we'll be back with more messages from you. (laughs)
2: Live Nation presents Concert Week from now through May 14th. Get twenty-five dollar tickets to over five thousand summer shows.
3: That's up to seventy-five percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like Twenty One Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the
0: Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum Forty One, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just twenty.
2: He says, somebody's in the house. And I
3: screamed.
4: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
2: Guys, we're back. But I just want to ask, what would happen if you had a balloon That was that deep blue color of the sky, like straight up sky blue. Okay. That's the color of the balloon itself. And Mm -hmm. the, all of the components, everything on there is painted that same sky blue color. Do you think it could be completely hidden up there in the sky?
5: We've talked about that with like dazzle camouflage and some of the purported, purported uses of glitter, even for camouflaging ships on the horizon line and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if there might be some sort of reflective quality
0: that might even do the job better than a than a sky blue paint job. Hmm. Oh, vanta
3: black. Oh, and send Linda it only to black. Vanta black is like the darkest thing. It swallows almost all visible light, so much so that it doesn't reflect. So you could maybe paint something vanta black and put it up, and it would look blue. I don't know. I don't know. Oh,
2: would it still fly? It's a good question. Is there? A great, is there a great <laughs> questions, Matt?
5: Uh, and I have another great question uh, from a listener. Call me Bobo. I we'll will call you Bobo. <laughs> Will will I ever. That's a great name and fun to say. It's what I used to call my grandpapa, my my nana and Bobo. Now, that's from Better Call Saul. Uh, But Bobo uh, poses this great question. Uh, Listening to the opening of the Skeptic Part 2 episode, I thought you were going to bring up an idea that I've been thinking about recently, but apparently we didn't quite get to it. So we're going to get to it today um, with uh, some nudging from Bobo. Is politics a new religion? People seem to identify with one side or the other so strongly that zealot seems an apt word to describe them. Could future historians in a thousand years look at this time in American culture and interpret our politicians as gods? Uh, I doubt you'd get an episode out of it. You'd be surprised, Bobo. But it may lead you and your friends to some interesting conversations. Okay, Bobo. We, uh, we see you and, uh, and we raise you. Well, we don't raise you. We're just going to meet you right where you are. We, it doesn't have to be a game of one-upsmanship. No, we, we certainly talk about this all the time. Uh, we have an episode that may have just uh, hit, or at least a classic episode, uh, about the idea of money being a new religion. We've talked about sports being treated as religion. Um, and throughout history, we see examples of whether you know, politicians are kind of our modern stand-ins for gods, uh, in certain sense, and definitely people like celebrities and sports figures and the concept of money and capitalism itself. Um, so, I mean, you know, a thousand years, it would have to like there would have had to be some apocalyptic event where there would be, you know, all human knowledge was kind of wiped away. So there would be very little like context. They'd have to be viewing this almost like cold. Right. Uh, that's that's the way I'm, I'm interpreting it, like some sort of apocalyptic event that maybe wiped out, you know, the, the record. You know, of, of all of this evolution that led us to be in the situation we're in with uh, these politicians wielding so much power and commanding such kind of cult like uh, zealotry, you know, on, on one side or the other. But um, I, I think the answer would, would likely be yes. You know, who, who is this president? Is he like the king of the gods? I mean, if you think about the way uh, politics is laid out in America anyway, there's a hierarchy that's very similar to what you would see in pantheons of gods, you know, in ancient Greek culture or Roman culture where you have kind of the head honcho in your Zeus, you know, uh, or, or whomever the, the top dog might be. And then you have your lesser gods and gods that represent certain facets of society, you know, like uh, the, the god of the forge or, you know, the god of the the hearth goddess of the hearth or whatever Mm -hmm. in in our situation, we have the head of agriculture (laughs) head Mm -hmm. the department of agriculture and stuff like that. So I I think this is a very interesting conversation. Um, And not to mention the whole uh, side conversation of how religion is such a huge part of politics and how that is one of the biggest guiding forces as to which side
3: folks ultimately choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yield my time. (laughs) Please. Uh, we may break, but we will not bend. We will not yield. I can't We're remember very brittle, point. but we don't bend very often. <laughs> <laughs> so brittle, bro. Anyway, the um, th- these are excellent points because I- I'd like to take it a little bit further, Bobo, and posit to you that religion is the first uh, form of politics, ultimately. Like the first form of an organized political body. You know, uh, for quite some time, the majority of human history, religion, and affairs of the state were inseparable, right? That's where we get divine right of a monarchy, the absolute rule of an emperor. And furthermore, if we consider those historical state leaders in, in sort of the context of their time, if we consider them the way that people were supposed to consider them during their heyday, then yes, they are religious figures. And if we fast forward to the modern day and we look back at a bunch of older nations, I feel like maybe we dunked on China a little bit in this week's Listener Mail segment. So here's the nice thing about China. Uh, It is such an ancient civilization that if you go back far enough, their emperors, their politicians, if you will, are considered mythological uh, demigod-like figures and taken as such seriously. Uh, This, this to me, is kind of a a fingers-on-a-hand situation. It's an inversion, right? Because uh, politics as a genre of religion has now become something that most people in the modern day think of in the opposite way. They say, let's keep religion out of politics (laughs) but religion created or became the framework for early politics. So I would say it has already been a religion. And there's a total backlash to the concept of
5: taking religion out of politics. Oh, yeah. You have one side that maybe is all about separating church and state, which is, you know, in the Constitution. But then you have another side that is really always pushing, pushing, pushing to get God back in the classroom, you know, and then and, and have certain um, political committees start with, you know, saying what the Pledge of Allegiance, which includes one nation under God. So there are all these kind of contradictions within that. But that's a really good point, Ben. It's it's, it's uh, uh, ironic. or Is it like Alanis Morissette's version of Iro- – I forget sometimes. It's used so incorrectly so often. But I think maybe it is that what beget politics as we know it is religion. And it was sort of a way of – you know, codifying things that once relied on religious deities, you know, with mortals so we can actually have an impact. And, you know, we can't exactly control the weather, or the seasons. But there are things that we can do to predictably, you know, survive
3: uh, without having to worry about whether the gods are mad at us or not. Yeah. And uh, a couple other things to think about in this regard. Uh, the Lord's spiritual of parliament. In the united kingdom they serve in the house of lords their qualification is not their politics it's that they are bishops in the church of england and it's been that way for a while so that religious aspect again we see the legacy of how religion creates politics and we've said it in the past multiple times but just and this is just my opinion quick and dirty uh, what I see is the social evolution of the human species. You start with the family. That's the first group that hangs together. That becomes the tribe. There are a bunch of families that are kind of interrelated, hopefully not too interrelated, not too Habsburgy about it. And then that evolves into the, um, <clears throat> the church, right? And the church says, okay, I know we're not all related, but we all agree on the same belief. And that's why we're together. And then from the church comes the state. That's the politic, the body politic. And that says, okay, I know we aren't all related, and I know we don't all believe the same things, but we all live in the same place, and therefore we can agree that our interests align. And from there, Mm -hmm. the part where humanity is now, we see the rise of the corporation, right? The technocracy, the neo-feudalism, which is on the way.
5: Which you could argue is is more the the worshipped deity than religion, even. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's really more of interest, if we're being honest about it, to politicians on either side than which which church you go to or which god you worship. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but big scale war uh, often uh, is a result of of, uh, of theological differences. You know, in terms of um, you know the, our relationship with the Middle East and and, and certain more uh, extreme sets, you know that that are associated with perhaps uh, Islam or whatever it might be. That is at its heart a religious uh, difference there that's causing a lot of those problems. If if there's, I'm mean, sure there's other things wrapped up in it, but uh, at a certain level of of hard line, that's what's
3: most important. Hmm. The following might be. Offensive to some people who are very close to this, but uh, again, this is just the, the objective consensus that we see throughout history. Most wars and conflicts seem to be based on control of resources and framed through any number of ways. My God says, this water is mine and is supposed to be mine, and you are wrong for disagreeing with that. And you don't follow my religion, therefore it's bad. And so there's a lot of almost like ancient versions of PR, but it, it comes down to the resources. And that's not to say, you know, that people don't believe wholeheartedly that there are theological doctrinal reasons for their conflicts. It's just historically what we see happen in conflicts when they end is a balance of resources they move somewhere there's an exchange war is transaction as are most things um i i don't know this is so this is so fascinating because you know what this makes me think oh matt bobo if what we're saying lines up and we may be wrong because this is an abstract conversation then is it not possible that anything could be mad lived in for what we call religion like if someone if someone really really loves star wars, right? You could claim that or you could claim like the jedi belief system is your religion if you really if you really love a certain band in somebody's mind could that People take do it the, all the place time. of religion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fandom
5: at a certain level is a Stand in for religion, and I mean, you don't go to church, you go to cons, you know, to worship at the altar of Star Wars or Disney or the Marvel Universe or whatever, which is all now owned by one
3: company, which is funny.
5: Boy, <laughs> all that. hail yeah. the mouse,
3: yeah. all worship it at
0: the altar of the mouse,
5: yeah, yeah. sure. I mean,
3: and I don't know if this will make it to YouTube, but this is what we do. When we hail the mouse, you make the ears, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We got to work on it, we got you know, when you we prostrate should just take the hats. yourself. <laughs> but that's a great point about fandom too. And and maybe I think maybe what makes it different in this case to Bobo's question is when you have politics being treated like religion with all the tribalism, all the uh, doctrinal stuff, then you end up in a place where you make real world decisions based on matters of faith and belief. You know what I mean? other than hard facts.
2: I just Googled prostrate to make sure that I was using it correctly. And I was, <laughs> but all I'm getting are pictures of prostates as though people who are searching for prostate <laughs> just misspell right. it so often. that now- Hey, you pushing 40, get your
5: prostate checked. Okay. It's important, but also
0: prostrate yourself to the gods. So you don't get prostate cancer. WebMD says we have prostrate cancer.
5: <laughs> <laughs> prostrate is when you basically get down on all on hands and knees, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's really flat yeah. on
2: the ground,
3: face down. Okay, like, yes. and then
2: doing the the ears, the Mickey mm-hmm. ears. <laughs> Thou Got shalt
3: it. not look upon thy mouse.
2: <laughs> Sorry. No,
5: no, this is this is important stuff. We're half joking because it is so absurd. And it's exactly the kinds of things you see in works of fiction like Gulliver's Travels, you know, or 1984 and the way that religion and politics kind of intersect and become bastardized. And what once was sort of a functional thing to kind of get a job done sort of balloons out of control and takes on a bizarro life of its own.
2: And then floats over South Carolina. <laughs> and, then, and then,
5: you know, Jimbo in the trailer park has got to shoot it down with his uh, 40-06. Is that a thing? That's the type of gun, right? Mm -hmm. I got close enough.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other day, Ben, in an episode, you referred to Justin Trudeau as, or you you warned everyone against viewing Justin Trudeau as a golden calf, right? And and as a thing of worship, a thing to be treated as an an idol or something that would save you, right? Um, I thought that was really interesting that we just talked about that.
3: Well, yeah, we have to remember that up to now, every politician that we can prove existed, whatever political system we're talking about, they have all been human. The ones that we can prove existed have all been human in positions of power. Is that going to be the case for the rest of our lives? I don't know. I mean, there, you know, I'd like to see chat gpt tackle a state of the union that might be fun i wonder what what place uh the psychological drive we call religion has going forward you know and and for many people many many people uh religious or spiritual beliefs are you know at the core of your identity and so we if we talk about removing religion from politics and this is a problem. I don't have an answer for it. I don't know if anyone does. If we talk about re- removing religion from politics, then how do we square with the humanity of people in politics, people who have spiritual beliefs? You, I mean, you can't tell somebody, or I guess you shouldn't tell somebody that, hey, based on where you go once or twice a week and what you believe, like your specific rules about how to be nice to people and how to be decent. Based on that, you can't have this job. Is removing religion or the existence of something like religion from politics, is that too close to removing humanity from politics? I don't know. Ice coffee, I I mean, no, (laughs) no. That's the
5: problem with politics. It it is sort of inherently inhumane, (laughs) because of all of the rigmarole and all of the uh, bureaucracy, it doesn't really think about people as much as, as much as it does processes, you know, and larger. I mean, you know, you, you the job of the politician is to sort of sell you a line about, no, no, it's all about the people and we're here to affect change. But then when the rubber actually hits the road, uh, it, you really have to kind of uh, dig pretty deep to justify that you've actually done that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it really ultimately is about things that don't really have to do with people at all. They have to do with money and corporations and war, which I guess, you know, at the end of the day, you could argue that the point of government is to protect people, you know, to protect people from foreign invaders and to make sure that people ultimately can survive. But there's a drift. There's a mission
0: creep, as you like to say, Ben, over time, where the people become much less the focus.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: I think the solution is clear. Now that we're, we're entering the parliamentary procedure part of stuff they don't want you to know, uh, gentlemen, fellow conspiracy realists, as well, I motion that we all vote for codename Doc Holliday to be in charge of politics,
2: mm-hmm. sure.
3: Just the idea of politics, yeah, just the idea even, of poli- let's no, have okay. some, let's outsource it and
5: no pressure yeah. either, even swimming, even the wrecks, all the rec centers and everything. That's a lot,
2: yeah. Like the new religions, are you Sony, Microsoft, are you PC, are you Nintendo?
3: Mm-hmm. Which virtual oh, environment uh, do
2: you live in, and God do you worship?
3: Now I'm turning against myself. I want to, I want to issue an objection to my earlier statement uh, because we all know that Doc Holiday is an Xbox supporter uh, and therefore is biased Ooh. against the good people of Sony. yeah i'm on
5: team ps i'm on team playstation have been my whole life honestly i don't even know what an xbox looks like
3: then how are you going to be represented in this government exactly
5: it looks like a box it's kind of rectangular (laughs) does it have an x on it somewhere Uh uh-huh okay cool (laughs)
3: i've got
5: imagination fellas i can uh, i can i I can use the context clues
3: uh misplay video games with you guys um we should we should get on that soon or do you want to go bowling at some point virtually It'll be so, a great if you're yeah, ever feeling I would love ba- to do that. Yeah, everybody, if you're ever feeling bad and you happen to be atla- in Atlanta, you can always go bowling with us and or me specifically. Because can I, the I use opp- the little gutter blockers like a child? <laughs> I would love it. Okay? I might need them. I have the opposite of nominative determinism. I am terrible at bowling. It's a like a I, If I'm
5: ever good at bowling, I'm accidentally good. Sort of like how I'm accidentally good at darts. Like, I'm only good at darts if I have no concept of what the rules are of the game. (laughs) Then I just kind of somehow magically, you know, rain man my way into dart supremacy. But yeah, same with bowling. The moment I start to care or try to use correct form, Mm -hmm. it all goes out the
3: window. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Doc Holliday's actually, is that true, Doc? You just got a new bowling ball? Always one step ahead of us. Tell you what. Oh, man. Uh, so shout out, shout out to uh, everybody who is actually good at bowling. Sounds like Doc is. Uh, shout out, of course, to our good friend of the show, Pam Peacock, who has started a Star Trek themed bowling league. Uh, I was going to join it, but unfortunately, travel got in the way. Uh, thank you to Bobo. Thank you to Anonymous. Thank you to AGW, right? Is that the moniker we're going mm-hmm. by now?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so what what do we tell people uh, if they want to join up with stuff they don't want you to know and become part of a show? How, how do they how do they do it? Do they have to run in an election? No, no, just prostrate no. yourself.
2: Prostrate yes. your
3: prostate. <laughs> No, sorry. Not castrate. <laughs> no, sorry, oh, okay. sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry.
5: <laughs> castrate yourselves and send us your severed genitals sorry. to. Yeah, I was just joking. You can, however, find us on Facebook, uh, on YouTube, and on uh, Twitter at Conspiracy Stuff. On Facebook, we do still have a Facebook group where people, you know, bandy about conversation around the episodes. We also have a book you can buy uh, in textual form with wonderful illustrations by the homie Admiral Turbo Nick Benson. And you should also check out on instagram he's selling some prints i think still that are amazing uh prints of some of his art that he did for the stuff that i want you to know book so check that out on his uh, instagram Uh, his link in the bio goes to his website which has all of his amazing work that you can buy for yourself uh you can also find us on
2: uh, instagram and tiktok at conspiracy stuff show oh yes do you like Calling people? Well, you can call us and leave a voicemail at 1833-STDWYTK. You've got three minutes when you call in, give yourself a cool nickname, and say whatever you want. If you've got more to say, then you can fit in that three minutes. Why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email?
3: We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. <laughs>